You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Before I get into the sermon, I want to kind of just take a moment and uh, remind you of the prayer and visioning uh, time we're going to begin here tomorrow night. At the, if you were here at the informational meeting that we had a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the book of Nehemiah and that all that there were just many, many very interesting parallels between the things that were happening in the book of Nehemiah and the things that I see kind of happening uh, here currently at Praise Community Church. And so for the next 13 weeks, because there's 13 chapters uh, in the book of Nehemiah, each week we're going to kind of just focus on one chapter. Chapter, and we're going to kind of just look at what was happening in this particular chapter of Nehemiah and, and what maybe is God saying to us or how is God leading us through that as a congregation moving forward. So tomorrow night, uh, right here, beginning at 630, uh, we are going to just look at chapter one. So you can read that chapter sometime today uh, or tomorrow uh, prior to coming. I'll kind of just give a real brief overview. Chapter one's just 11 verses long, so it'll take you about 10 minutes to read that. But I'll kind of just give a brief overview. Uh, I'll kind of maybe give a few prayer points um, just so it kind of gives you some focus, direction uh, for our time together. Um, and so we'll, and then we'll just kind of have a time where, where you're just able to pray. Some of you may do that quietly. We'll have a mic if there are people that feel like, you know, God's giving them a prayer that needs to be prayed corporately. There'll be a time maybe just to, I encourage you to bring your Bibles and just be a time where maybe you can just be reading and meditating on scriptures. Again, just being open to maybe what God is saying um, to you. Um, and if you want to, you can fast uh, all or part of Monday. That was also kind of a part of Nehemiah's approach uh, in, in restoring and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. There was just a time of fasting. Uh, so if you want to fast, again, I know some of you maybe have medical conditions that don't allow you uh, to do that. We would encourage you. There are other kinds of fasts. You can do, you know, maybe a TV fast, a computer fast, Fast. You can do a fast from maybe negative words. There's a number of, of types of fasts that you can do. So if, if you want to do that, we would encourage you to do that. We'll end again here at 7.30. It's just an hour. Feel free if you can come for the whole thing or if you can only come for part of it. It's just kind of an open invitation. Now, the one interesting facet to the book of Nehemiah, to me at least, is there are no overt miracles throughout the entire story. Now, now they're there, uh, but they're just not overt. They're, they're, they're not just kind of, you know, out there, you know, like Moses parting the Red Sea. I mean, that was a big, big miracle. And, and you know, the, the, the quail, the manna, all, there's just a lot of overt miracles throughout both the Old and New Testament. But what's interesting in the book of Nehemiah, there are miracles there. They're kind of in the background, but they're not very overt. And what Nehemiah does and what the Israelites um, do here, first and foremost, is hard work. I mean, it was rolling up your sleeves. It was elbow grease. It was sweat 
And it took a lot of dedication, a lot of commitment, and a lot of hard work from the Jewish people to accomplish the rebuilding and the restoring of the walls of Jerusalem. And I believe the same is going to be true for us. I'm not saying God won't do miracles for us. He will. But they may not be obvious or overt. And what we will be doing these next 13 Monday nights and beyond is going to require a lot of dedication, commitment, and hard work from all of us. As I said a couple of weeks ago, don't leave this for a few people. Oh, Pastor Jim, oh, we, we hear him pray. We'll just, we'll leave that to Pastor Jim. No, 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 no. When you get into chapter three of Nehemiah, what you're gonna find is every family, every member of that family was involved in the rebuilding and the restoring of the walls of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. One of the families that's mentioned there in chapter three mentions the daughters of this particular family that were a part of that. That tells me that in that story of Nehemiah, every family, every member of that family was involved in the rebuilding and the restoring. We need everyone to get involved and to do your part. Take your place in what God is doing here. And I look forward to seeing you here tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. This morning, I kind of want to just transition, and, and I want to talk just a little bit this morning about how we can thrive in the new year. I know a lot of times we kind of come into a new year, and maybe your attitude this morning is, man, I just hope I can survive 2019. I want you to know this morning, God just does not want you to survive 2019. God wants you to thrive in 2019. Um, and the first psalm, it's very, very interesting to me, the very first psalm of 150 psalms that are written there, the very first one tells us how we can thrive, how we can prosper, how we can be uh, blessed. So this morning, I'm just going to invite you to stand with me, and we're just going to read together uh, Psalm 1. It's just six short verses, so just stand with me. The verses are up there on the screen, and we'll just read this together, again, just as an affirmation. Blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment, Sinners have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. You may be seated. I think one of the things that most of us here, if not all of us, would say is that we desire to live a blessed life. We want to prosper. We want to thrive. I mean, if I were to ask you, you know, if you were given a choice, do you want to be blessed? Do you want to prosper? Do you want to thrive? I think all of us would say absolutely with a resounding yes. 
And one of the great things about the book of Psalms is that it provides, among other things, God's pathway to a blessed life. It's not the only thing that will lead to a blessed life, but it is a great starting point. So if you're here this morning, you're kind of searching for some keys uh, to living a blessed, prosperous life. Psalm 1 wastes no time in getting right into it. Again, it's short Six short verses, but yet it provides in those six verses God's pathway to not just surviving in life, but thriving in life. So verse one, it kind of opens up by saying, blessed is the one who, and then it goes on to tell the child of God exactly what to do to inherit and to have a blessed life. So we know that this psalm, right from the beginning, the opening words there, this is God's blueprint for blessing. It's one of the uh, interesting things to me about this word uh, blessed is that in the Hebrew, it is a plural word. And it's plural because it's really kind of trying to create an intensity and a multiplicity of the blessings that kind of await the one who will do what God calls us to do in this specific psalm. It's kind of the Hebrew equivalent way of an exclamation point. So what David is saying is he is saying, blessed exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. There is an intensity to this. It's also a word, that word blessed, it's also used exclusively of people who are in relationship to God. The God of the Bible, our heavenly Father, he is the only one in all creation, in all eternity, who has both the ability and the desire to bestow blessings. You stop and think about Satan. Satan never uses that word. He never, he never talks about blessings. He never, he never acknowledges it. As a matter of fact, he kind of deals more in curses. It is God alone who kind of deals with blessings. And God wants every one of us to prosper, to succeed, uh, and to accomplish great things with our lives. And there's Many scriptures in the Bible, again, that kind of back that up. 3 John 2 says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So again, the Bible tells us that it is God's heart, it's his intent, his desire that he wants us to prosper and to be blessed in all things. So there, God, in this first Psalm, God kind of gives us three pieces of advice. Um, if you are interested in pursuing and living a blessed life. So the first piece of advice he gives us is live for God. So there in verse one, he simply says, blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the ungodly or wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Now, right away, the psalmist is kind of describing three different groups of people and they're very different. The first person the psalmist refers to is the wicked or uh, the ungodly, uh, different translations will use uh, both of those 
words. That word ungodly, that word un uh, meaning not. So if you're unafraid, it means you're not afraid. So if you're ungodly, it means you're not godly. Now, another way to say ungodly is they are a person who really has no room for God in their lives. I mean, very few people are anti-godly. They're just ungodly in that they don't have time. They have no place in their life for God. The Pew Research Center interestingly, has kind of done studies and surveys uh, for many, many years, and they're kind of gauging the religious um, pulse of, of Americans. And um, each year, they kind of do a study, and they, and they ask how many people believe in God. The most recent study that was done found that 80%, and that number is declining in America. But currently, they find that about 80% of people believe in God. Now, what's interesting about that is as they begin to kind of ask the people to define the God they believe in, what they have found is that many people, as a matter of 56% of Americans, when they were asked to describe uh, their understanding of God, only 50%, 56% of that 80% describe the God of the Bible. There were many people who said, oh, yes, I believe in God. And when they were asked to kind of describe uh, what, that, uh, what that God meant, who, who is that God, they kind of said, well, they believed it was a, you know, a higher power or a supreme being. Um, and so people, again, it's one thing to believe in God, and it's another thing to believe in the God of the Bible. And so people who believe in God, people who believe in the God of the Bible, again, are those um, that David is referring to here that are going to be blessed, that are are going to have the ability to prosper. He says the ungodly person, they're not. Uh, The ungodly person, again, is a person who believes in God, but really has no relationship with God. Uh, again, they, they, they can't articulate what it is they believe about God. It's a person who kind of has a very, very shallow and surface understanding about who God is. It's kind of like an oil slick. You know, their understanding of God is very, very, very wide, but it's very, very thin. It's very, very shallow. Now, that's the ungodly. They don't have the faintest idea of how to live for God or what God requires of them. And that's the first person. The second person is, David refers to is the sinner. Whereas the ungodly is, again, uh, the skeptic is ungodly, uh, the sinner is unholy. This is a type of person that not only lives as if there is no God, he knows it and he doesn't care. The sinner is going to live the way he wants to live, no matter how destructive that life may be to him or to those around him. And they really don't care what anybody else thinks. This person, the sinner that David is talking about there, uh, there's a perfect picture of this found in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20. And there it says, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wickedness. So in other words, they lack a consciousness towards sinful and wicked behavior. Now, interestingly, and and I would say to you, frightening, um, I hear this sentiment a lot 
in funeral services. Someone will get up and they'll kind of talk about the deceased and they'll make this comment, this person lived life the way they wanted to live it, as if it was a virtue. It, it kind of goes along with Frank Sinatra's you know, uh, popular song, I did it my way. And there are people who kind of get up and, and, and in a very boastful, and very prideful way, say basically, I lived life the way I wanted to live it. Jesus, on the other hand, calls us to die to self, to die to our way of life to pick up his cross and to follow him. Living for God and living the way you want to live, I did it my way, are often, if not always, diametrically opposed. If you're not living life the way God calls you to live, then chances are you're living an ungodly life and there is nothing to boast or to brag about in that. Next, we come to the third type of person that David talks to about there. He talks about the mocker. Again, where the skeptic is ungodly, the sinner is unholy. The mocker is what I would call unruly. As a matter of fact, that word in the Greek, it kind of refers to a dog's snarl. Um, it literally means to kind of make a nasty face act. The mocker is a person who not only is a sinner but laughs about it, takes enjoyment in it. They enjoy the sins of others. They're the type of people who encourage others to sin in ways that they are. This is a type of person who, who mocks God and mocks sin. And this is the type of person uh, being referred to in Proverbs 14.9 when it says, fools mock at sin. And so you've got these three different types of people, and in relation to these three kinds of people, the Bible gives us very strong and very wise counsel. And it says, blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or the ungodly. And again, the world, they're always ready to give you their advice. But the Bible says if you are going to live a blessed life, if you want to live a prosperous life, you're going to have to turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to the counsel and advice of worldly people. I heard about a guy who had a sick mule, and he went to his next door neighbor, and he said, Sam, my mule is sick. When your mule got sick, what did you do for it? And his neighbor said, I gave him a quart of kerosene. So the man went home and gave his mule a quart of kerosene, and the mule died. So the man went back to his friend and said, Sam, didn't you tell me to give my sick mule a quart of kerosene? And Sam said, well, yes, I did. And he said, well, I did that, and my mule died. And Sam said, well, don't feel too bad. Mine did too. <laughs> when we follow the advice of ungodly, of wicked people, you will end up with worldly and ungodly results. As believers, we do not need to listen to give ear to the advice, to the counsel of the world. We need to give ear to the counsel and the advice of God's word. See, the world will tell you all roads lead to heaven. You know, they'll tell you one religion is no different than another. 
And I just, I just gotta be honest with you. I've heard people um, who've been coming to this church for a long time will basically tell me that they don't believe that there's any difference between the God of Christianity and the God of Islam. That's a lie. It is a lie. And oftentimes my response to them is, if you really believe that, you really don't understand much about Christianity or Islam. As a matter of fact, go to a country that's predominantly Islamic and you tell those people the God they worship and the God you worship is no different, that they're one and the same and they'll slit your throats because to them, that is an insult to their religion. They know the difference. Oftentimes we don't. Or if we do, we wanna go along to get along. We, we want to seem tolerant and open. Um, and again, there's a big difference. All roads do not lead to heaven. And Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, he said, I am me, Jesus. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one. And you know what no one in the Greek means? No one. Nobody None will come to the Father except by me. Amen. It doesn't get any more exclusive or narrow than that. There is only one way to heaven, only one access to the Father. And Jesus said, that is through me. That right there separates Christianity from every other religion. The world will tell you there's nothing wrong with getting drunk. There's nothing wrong with partying and having a good time. The word of God says in Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine produces mockers. Liquor leads to brawls. Whoever is led astray by it cannot, will not be wise. In other words, when you're under the influence of alcohol, you will not make wise decisions and you will not say wise things. Alcoholic joys are brief. The results are lasting. There are destroyed marriages. There are devastated families, people who are in prison, people whose lives are spinning out of control, people who have incurable diseases because they chose to listen to and to follow the advice of worldly and ungodly people. And Psalm 1-1 clearly states, blessed are those who do not follow the advice, the counsel of the wicked, the ungodly, or stand around with sinners. Now, I want you to see the progression here. If you begin to walk and listen to the counsel of the ungodly, then you are going to begin to behave like the sinner. Action always follows advice. What gets into your head will eventually get down into your heart. What you believe will eventually determine your behavior. What's in your mind will control your manners. That's why Proverbs 23, seven says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Psalm 1-1 concludes by saying, blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the ungodly or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Now, again, this represents as that progression continues. This represents the worst stage of sin. Again, once you accept the advice, the counsel of the ungodly, then second, you're going to begin to imitate them. And thirdly, you will adopt their attitude. 
Sin will only take you in one direction, folks, and that is in a downward spiral. Sin will first entice you, then it will engage you, and then it will embrace you. And the Bible makes very clear that once sin has embraced us, there's death. Alexander Pope once said this, he said, when we see vice, which is another word for sin, when we see vice, first we are repulsed, then we endure it, then we pity it, then we embrace it. Simply put, the best way to deal with sin is to stay away from it, and the best way to stay away from it is just to resolve in your heart, I'm gonna live for God. The second piece of advice the psalmist gives us there is walk in the word, okay? Live for God and then walk in the word. Your success, your level of prosperity, your level of blessedness is going to depend upon you being rightly related to the word of God. The Bible says that God blesses a person in direct proportion to their obedience and their walking in the word of God. Psalm 1-2 tells us what that relationship's gonna be. He says, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. The word delight there, uh, it, it, it can also mean pleasure. So that is, there comes a pleasure there comes a delight, or there ought to, when we're in the Word of God, when we're reading it, when we're studying it, unlike anything else. And David, the psalmist, he kind of picks up on this theme, and you'll find that throughout Scripture. One example is certainly in Psalm 119. Right there, beginning in verse 14, here's what David says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes and I will not forget your word. And then several verses later, listen to what he says. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of silver and gold. And then a few verses later, he again says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And here, again, David is giving and portraying to us this idea of delighting, of finding pleasure in the word of God. The psalmist goes on also, and, he, and he's kind of saying, you know, it's not enough to read the Bible. It's not enough to study the Bible. We also need to be meditating upon the Bible. And there he says, and, and in his law, David says there in Psalm 1, and in his law, he meditates day and night. He's saying to us, one of those pathways toward a blessed life is when we begin to kind of just meditate on the word of God. Now that word meditate in the Hebrew, it's a very, very interesting word. It literally means to murmur or to kind of speak to yourself or to utter to yourself. This word meditate, it also has kind of overtones of the word humming. Um, if you've ever listened to advertising jingles on television or on the radio and you hear them enough, you kind of get the word and you kind of get the melody in your head and you'll kind of just find yourself, you know, at, at some point, you're kind of just singing that song to yourself. Now, I'm 57 and I don't know, um, I don't think they do this commercial, at least I've not seen this commercial for uh, decades and it's plop, plop, fizz, fizz. 
We all remember those little jingles. That's kind of the idea of meditating. It's one of the things I love about worship is there's, there's just, um, usually every Sunday, there's just a song that I go out of here with that it just, it continues to play over and over and over in my mind. That's the idea of what David's talking about here in meditating. That there's kind of just this humming. We're kind of just singing over and over and reciting over and over the word of God. That's the idea of meditating here. Now, before you dismiss this concept or you think it has little to, or nothing to do um, with success or blessings in your life, I want you to consider probably one of the most successful men in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Joshua. You may remember that Moses, uh, because of disobedience, was not allowed to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And God chose Joshua um, for that. And Joshua was asked by God uh, to attempt the impossible, to do the improbable um, task of taking an entire nation into the promised land. Joshua is being asked to lead kind of this ragtag, often rebellious, complaining, never satisfied group of people, the nation of Israel, and to bring them into a strange and foreign land that was just littered with enemies. And for those of you familiar with the story, uh, you know walls tumbled down, enemy fell down, barriers came down, and Joshua became successful and blessed. So it begs the question, what was the secret? What was the source of his success? Well, interestingly, God never gave Joshua a battle plan. He never gave Joshua a strategy by which to train the army of Israel. He never gave him any plans for great battle strategies. Here's what God tells Joshua, and he doesn't waste any time in the very beginning of Joshua chapter one, verse eight, God lays out the secret for Joshua's success. He says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Do you realize what is true then is true now? What God did then, God continues and desires to do today. Meditate on God's word. Make it in every part of your day and you will be successful and blessed. The third piece of advice the psalmist gives us is stand strong. Live for God, walk in the word, stand strong. Verse three kind of says, and they shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its due season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever they shall do, prosper. Now, why did the psalmist compare those who are godly to trees? Well, think about some of the functions of trees. First, a tree stands firm. The deeper its roots go down, the stronger that tree is likely to be. And there it says, they shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And whenever a person is planted by God and by the rivers of his word, they are going to be unshakably strong in what they believe, in what they do, 
how they behave. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 13, he said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. But what God plants, the opposite of this is true. What God plants shall never be uprooted. So God wants us to be like trees that are firmly rooted in him, rooted in his word. And when we do that, we will never be blown over by opinion, will never be taken or uprooted by winds of doctrine, uh, of strange doctrine, because God wants us to be people of conviction. So if you study history, you will find that the ones who have moved this world were the people the world could never move. Second, a tree produces fruit. So a tree stands firm, and second, it produces fruit. The psalmist says this tree brings forth, it produces its fruit in its season. You see, blessedness, it's not just a reward, it's a result of a godly life. Now notice the difference between a godly person and an ungodly person. The godly person, David says, is going to prosper. Their tree is going to bear fruit. Their life is going to count, and we're going to be rewarded for our fruit one day as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But notice the ungodly. The ungodly, they're not going to prosper. Verse 4 says, they are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. He's basically saying the fruit of the ungodly, it bears nothing. It won't last. It'll be destroyed. The third thing is a tree stays fresh. So a tree stands firm. A tree produces fruit. A tree stays fresh. This is a tree whose leaves also shall not wither. And whatever they do, they shall prosper. Here is a tree, again, that is always green, always growing. And again, it's like a person who is fruitful and fresh in every and all seasons of their life. It reminds me of the great poet, Lord Byron. Though he is one of the greatest poets who ever lived, he was also a man who lived um, a life of degradation and debauchery. He spent his whole life on gambling, on alcohol, on sexual exploits. And, and toward the very end of his life, he wrote these words. He said, my life is the yellow leaf. The yellow leaf is the leaf that is dying. The yellow leaf, it's the leaf that is rotting. And toward the end of his life, he wrote these words. He said, I now have ashes where once I had fire. The soul in my body is dead. The thing I once loved, I now merely admire. My heart is as gray as my head. That is ultimately the end of the ungodly, the sinner, and the mocker. Whenever a tree has dry leaves, it has dry roots. But whenever your roots are sunk deep into the waters, into the river of God's word, the psalmist says, and he promises us, that our leaves will never, they'll never go yellow. They'll never go dry. Your leaves will be fresh, your tree will be fruitful, and your roots will be firm. This psalm carries kind of a twofold message. It says the godly are going to prosper, the ungodly will perish. And most of us, as I close, have kind of heard Robert Frost's classic 
poem, The Road Not Taken. Remember how that poem ends. He says, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Jesus kind of said the same thing, but he kind of says it in a different way. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are they who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. The life our heavenly father desires and is eager to bless are those who will live for him, who will walk in his word, and those who will stand strong. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. And again, Lord, it's not a mistake, it's not a coincidence that you begin the book of Psalms with, with these six verses. These six verses, again, are a very powerful reminder of both your desire, your ability to bless and to prosper your children. And Father, again, as we enter into a new year, again, God, we don't want to stand and make New Year's resolutions, but God, we can make a holy resolution in our hearts, God, to take the words, the, the six verses of this psalm, and God, just again, dedicate our hearts and our lives to following and doing what it says to do. So, Father God, I pray, Lord, that no matter what's gone in the past, no matter what has happened, Lord, uh, prior to walking in here, even this morning, that God, this morning, we can choose, we can resolve in our heart, in our spirit this morning that we want to take a new direction, that we want to begin to walk in a new, in a, in a different, in a godly way. And Father, we just know, God, as we again just set our heart, set our mind, our spirit upon following your word, God, that there will come great blessing. And so, Father, this morning, we just ask, Lord, that you would give to each of us, again, just a resolve, a determination, a courage, a zeal to be consumed with zeal for this. And Father God, we thank you, Lord, for these very simple, for these very practical but very life-changing words. And God, again, as we take it to heart, as we just begin to walk it out, God, we pray you'll breathe upon this. We pray, God, that you'll give us strength to live this out, both now and in the days, the years to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.